Welcome back to what is now the three-game winning streak edition of Dear Old State. I am the athletic college football editor, Matt Brown, joined by Penn State writer Audrey Snyder. Three and five, Audrey, it sounds a lot better than three and five would have sounded before the season. Uh, Penn State beats Michigan State and uh, some nice little momentum going into the mystery, no longer mystery, ninth game next week. Yeah, ninth game, Saturday, a 5.30 p.m. kick in Beaver Stadium. The mysteries just continue. 5.30. Yeah. I don't know if that's ever happened before. Uh, 5.30 against Illinois, which parted ways with Lovey Smith on Sunday. Um, I I'm sure Illinois is going to be fired up for this road trip. Yeah, I, I <laughs> can't see people flocking to their televisions to watch this game necessarily. Um, but I mean, there is a chance of course for Penn state to keep building off this momentum, as you mentioned. Um, yeah. Three and five sounds a heck of a lot better than zero and eight, which honestly, That's Matt, true. I mean, the way things were, I think you thought that might happen at some point. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the way things were a month ago, you're like, Ooh, are they going to win a game? And then we kept saying, we're like, I don't know. They could win these last like three to four games. They could also lose these last three exactly. to four games. And I feel like my, my opinion there still hasn't changed um, because this team, as we saw Saturday with the win against Michigan state is wildly inconsistent. Um, I, I think it's at this point, they are what they are. There's growing pains. It's an offense that at times looks boring. It looks very, very boring. Um, at other points, like that second half looks good. and looks exciting and people should be happy about the play of Parker Washington and Jahan Dotson, but it's just trying to find any middle ground with this team has really been a challenge this year. Yeah, it was a strange game for sure. Penn State wins the land-grant trophy or retains the wonderful land-grant trophy, 39-24. to 24, And it was – the Lions were the dominant team for three quarters of the game. I mean, the first quarter was only 3 nothing, but Michigan State had like 22 yards in the first quarter. And, you know, the second half was 29-3. to three, And then the second quarter was 21-7 to seven Michigan State, like – they had 222 yards, I think, maybe in the second quarter. And quarterback Peyton Thorne had over 200 yards in the second quarter. And Penn State's pass rush suddenly looked terrible, and the defensive backs looked terrible, and the offense looked incredibly boring and dull and all that. Penn State was down by 11, and then they win by 15. And, yeah, the second half, the offense was as good as it has looked this year, even letting Will Levis throw the ball a little bit. So if you forget the second quarter, it was as you know complete, complete a game as Penn State has had this year. But – uh, you know, even with that second quarter, they still win by 15, their most points this year. So uh, plenty of positives to take away from this one, even if the offense is still kind of looks like it has training wheels on a lot. Yeah, I think training wheels might be a nice way to put it, Matt. But I, I think what I wrote about uh, Monday morning on The Athletic in my uh, final thoughts piece is what Penn State very clearly has been trying to do these last few weeks with their quarterbacks, with this offense, is just go out, keep it as boring as vanilla as possible at times. Don't have, you know, these guys force anything. Don't create takeaways because we've seen that's been the issue here with this offense turning the ball over. Uh, and for the most part, just do whatever you can run the ball and get a win that way. Like it's not pretty um, by any stretch. Although, I mean, there were times in the second half where it certainly yeah, they opened it up a lot bit. better. Yes. And it's just, it's those, those moments where you go from, okay, here's Will Levis. He's still running the ball. He's still running the ball. Oh, third quarter. He, he attempts a pass. I mean, this guy had gone almost 30 consecutive uh, rushing attempts before we saw him throw a pass. I mean, you know, two and a half games it was. Uh, so it's just, to me, it's those moments where you say, okay, I get it. This It is what it is, but there's no way this offense can look like this next year. And 
I asked James Franklin after the game, Matt, and we haven't discussed this, so you might get a laugh out of this. Um, I asked him if he thinks this two quarterback operation is sustainable in 2021. Um, all the all the while, kind of realizing he's probably going to shoot the question down um, because you know, hey, they're trying to go one and zero. But then I thought maybe you know what? Um, at this point, Saturday they didn't know who they were going to play, so it's like ah, we're focused on next week's opponent who we don't know who that is. But uh, yeah, he was not taking the bait on the question. Uh, he just said that they are committed to using both quarterbacks in 2020. Um, but I just, I wonder long-term, I guess, right. Like if there was a percentage to put on it, how much, what percentage of this offense that we're seeing right now, are we still going to be seeing next year? Um, because just the whole disjointed off debated all off season. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, to me, the, the quarterback situation and what they do there is going to be the big storyline of the off season. Um, and I think too, for everyone hoping to see Sean Clifford have a, you know, a masterful, complete game where he's shredding people through the air and see that deep ball that he's been, you know, so criticized about, see those improvements with the deep ball. I just don't think we're going to see that this year. Um, I think that's still going to be all for the offseason, right? Unless they come out and start chucking the ball all over the place um, against Illinois, we're not going to see that. And it's going to be all offseason. And, you know, credit to Sean Clifford again. He's settled down. He's doing what they're asking him mm-hmm. to do and kind of rebuilding his confidence, it seems. And 31 yards, you know, touchdown. Yeah. yeah. Overall, pretty nice game 17 to 27, 232 yards, two touchdowns, and then had the 31 yard rushing touchdown, 48 yards on the ground in total. So, you know, overall, it's a pretty solid game. It wasn't a flashy game by any means, but um, John Dotson, 108 yards, Parker Washington, 95 yards, and, uh, you know, Will Levis, 38 or 36 rushing yards and a touchdown and three for three passing for 54 yards. So Penn state threw for 286 yards running game. Uh, wasn't, wasn't exactly dominant. Kevon Lee had the really, really nice run that got called back because of a penalty, but credits him for a, a very, very tough would be touchdown run. Uh, and but, a backflip at, at the end of the game out of the victory formation that I did not catch live. I had to see that on Twitter after the fact. Yes. So yeah, Kevon Lee showing off the athleticism in many ways, mm-hmm. but you know Penn State had one explosive rush in the game, really, and that was Clifford's uh, run where he basically walked into the end zone. Other than that, it's not like Penn State got much going on the ground. Lee averaged two point six yards per attempt, didn't really get much of anything going outside of the one that didn't count. But Penn State, you know, found ways to win. They got the ball going a little bit through the air and uh, got big got a couple big plays, play. and Jahan Dotson kind of put a capper on it and put the game out of reach. Yeah, and so, I thought, man, the, the Dotson, the 81-yard punt return for a touchdown, uh, it was really nice to watch Penn State sideline because, again, this was – it was senior day, no – for the first time all season, no spectators in the stadium. Um, I mean, the only – media was allowed in, but beyond that, there were no parents there. So that was a first this year. And so, I mean, you've got this completely empty bowl of a stadium and just two teams on the sideline, and Dotson – cuts his way through for the 81 yard punt return for touchdown and the sideline just erupted. And for everyone that was critical of James Franklin for not showing enough emotion this season, um, which again, I don't, it's kind of difficult to show emotion when your face is behind a mask, but uh, that was certainly a criticism from a lot of fans. And you see Franklin over there with one arm around Dotson helping hoist him up in the air and journey Brown's carrying Jahan kind of the length of the bench. So, I mean, that was, a really nice moment for a team that 
you know, at, at Beaver Stadium, Matt, they hadn't won a game this year. It was, yeah. you had to go back to last November until they rang the victory bell. And, you know, as they bring the land grant trophy out on the field and Shane Simmons, who had the best, best game of his collegiate career on senior day, he's hoisting the trophy up. Um, I'm then wondering, like, are they actually even allowed to ring the victory bell because of germs and people touching it? And But they did. Um, so, yeah, it was just, to me, that Dotson play, it woke everybody up. It was, you know, big moment in the fourth quarter. Really, at that point, you didn't feel like the game was in jeopardy, for, you know, from then on out. So I thought it was, it was a really nice play. And he is, because we're recording this Monday afternoon, he is the Big Ten Special Teams Player of the Week. And Matt, the last time Penn State had a punt return for a touchdown was? Who was it? Mm, I don't remember who it was. Yeah, I didn't Tompkins? either. But DeAndre Tompkins? Yes, yes, DeAndre Tompkins against Pitt in 2018. Oh, yep, there you go. So, yeah, I tried to stump you, Matt, and no no luck. <laughs> I didn't I didn't know the game, but I knew Tompkins had at least one, maybe a couple. Yeah, I only so, know because it was in the press release that I just read before recording There this. you go. Yeah. So I think the big sequence of the game, I mean, we, we, they built up to that punt return but you know Penn State came out after just a horrid second quarter and kind of gets things going to start the the third quarter 11 plays 75 yards uh then they force a Michigan State punt but then the offense kind of went back into oh here we go again three plays negative one yard they punt with 837 left in the third quarter and Michigan State proceeds to go on a 12 play drive but credit to the defense Michigan State got to the six yard line and Penn State got a real what turned out to be a crucial stop yes. and holds Michigan state to a 23 yard field goal makes it a six point game. And then after that Penn state scored three touchdowns in less than five minutes, less than four minutes. You had, we don't five, do math here on dear old state <laughs> 69 yard touchdown drive capped by Will Levis. They go for, or they went for two, sorry, in the first touchdown of the third quarter, which kind of liked the boldness yeah. go up by one. And then, everything just kind of flips after that touchdown where um, they force a three and out again and three, what was a three play touchdown drive with Parker Washington coming Mm -hmm. wide open 49 yard touchdown. And then another three and out and John Dotson returns the 81 yards for a touchdown. So the defense all of a sudden slammed the door shut and the offense and special teams uh, took advantage. So what what have we talked about for a lot of this year? What has James Franklin talked about? Complimentary football. Yep. There it was, all three phases kind of actually coming together for Penn State's, I mean, easily the best stretch of football Penn State has played in like a, you know, five, six, seven minute period right there. And Parker Washington, that 49-yard touchdown was beautiful. I mean, I feel like every single week there's at least one play, although this week we can point to several plays where the true freshman receiver just looks like he's a big-time playmaker um, that's kind of unfolding, developing right before our eyes. And um, you know, even his, his other touchdown, the first one, uh, he had to elevate over the guy to, to come down and get it and takes a hit and still holds onto the ball. I mean, he just, he's doing some really, really special things. And I'll bring this up too, because I asked Jahan Dotson about it after the game. But again, looking ahead to the future of this, this team in 2021, um, is Jahan Dotson somebody that's still on this team in 2021? Because you look at some of the big games that he's had, this was his fourth game with hundred plus receiving yards this season. So in half of Penn state's games, he's gone over a hundred. I do think the Ohio state game with Sean Wade on the other side was really, really important when you look at draft stock. Uh, so I asked him, you know, have you given your future much thought? Do you plan on being here next year? 
Uh, and he said that it's something that he really hasn't thought much about. And, you know, they're focused on this week and all of that kind of the, the status quo. Never answer. heard such an answer before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds um, and, but, you know, the thing is like, this is to me, this is one of the most important decisions and most important things that's going to happen to this team in the off season, because you're seeing Parker Washington being, you know, a complete knockout talented number two guy right now. Uh, but if you take away that number one receiver, Again, we're back to probably another offseason, potentially, who knows what Dotson does, another offseason of, okay, what's this receiving core? Um, you know, when There's are we only three see? guys they, they even throw to at this point? I mean, Daniel Jones right. makes some appearances, but he, you know, he's been uh, TJ extremely Jones, quiet. TJ Daniel Jones. Cam Sullivan Brown. It, it's just, it's not there. I mean, it, you've got Keandre Lambert-Smith. Uh, you've got Jahan Dotson. You've got Parker Washington. And then Jaden Dotton, we, we haven't seen. Um, Do you know who's third on the team in catches? Um, a tight end, maybe, probably. Pat, Pat Fryermuth, who hasn't he's played hurt, yeah. weeks. <laughs> Although he, he's he played did. half as many games, but he has, he's, so John Dotson has 46 catches, actually partially because teams haven't played the full eight games like Penn State, but leads the Big Ten in total receiving yards, 695. Uh, Parker Washington has 35 catches. Pat Fryermuth, 23. Keandre Lambert-Smith, 14. So Fryermuth has nine more than the next most catches after 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 that. So, <laughs> Yeah, depth depth still not really the strong suit in the receiving core yet, but they did sign a bunch of guys in in the past class, and it'll be just <laughs> a kind of a guessing game for a while of okay, which of those guys are going to develop? Will they develop? Because that's kind of been the question with the receiving core for several years now. Yeah, and I was watching them warm up Saturday with with Taylor Stubblefield, and I will say, Matt, I had to do a couple double takes because Stubblefield is also bald like James Franklin, and with masks on right now, it's when I'm scanning the sidelines with my binoculars, it makes the whole thing more challenging, making sure you have the right person and players, and is this guy in or out, and who is this under a mask? Um, but Stubblefield was firing some fastballs to that receiving core during warmups, and it's just a, a group that looks more dialed in. Um, you know, like they don't look sloppy during warmups. And so to me, that that is worth something. But yeah, whatever happens with, with Dotson is going to be something that we're certainly keeping an eye on here down the stretch. But also, Matt, I really like what, what they have in Brenton Strange and Theo Johnson. And we're seeing these guys as blockers. I would like to see them more involved in the past game. And it just seems like, uh, and we saw it again early where they were going to strange and then they just got away from it. And I'd like to see that kind of more consistently throughout a game, because I think both of those guys, when you look at numbers and balancing things out and making up for some deficiencies, that's where you're going to do it. To me, those are the guys that are, that are going to help you uh, kind of narrow that gap. And this was, again, Devin Ford was in street clothes, was unavailable. Um, James Franklin said that everyone who was there and was dressed for the game was not available due to injury. So that's why, you know, you're still seeing Will Levis being that de facto running back, uh, whatever Falcon, whatever you want to call it. Um, but again, like you're, you're certainly shorthanded right now. They've been for several weeks. So it's kind I of think, crazy to think about yeah. We've gone through the list. And again, I've even talked about the guys who like a year ago, we were expecting to be impact players for Penn State, but even, even just this year now, you look at who they were without in this game. I mean, it's Journey Brown, it's Noah Kane, it's Micah Parsons. You know, it's Jason Oway, it's Devin Ford, it's Tariq Castro Fields. Like, it just, that, that's an insane collection of, of guys who are supposed to be impact players for this team that they're without. And, you know, so I don't think anybody should take a 15-point win lightly, even if Michigan State's a mess or anything like that. Cause, you know, this is, this is a young team in, in many respects right now, and it's just a kind of a patchwork team. And um, 
you know, it's, I think they, yeah, I mean, really missed away for a while in the game. The pass, you know, mm-hmm. I know he doesn't have a sack this year, but he still affected the game a lot this year. And the pass rush just went dead silent in the second quarter, and they're clearly missing him. And then, you know, we can move into defense, but like Shane Simmons stepped up and had his best game as a Penn Stater starting in in place First of career start, yeah, away. away. So guys are guys are stepping up where they need to, and again, it isn't pretty, but. Penn State is doing the opposite of the the first half of the season. It's finding ways to win even when things go wrong. Yeah, and I mean, Owe, Franklin said, was banged up in that Rutgers game. So he did warm up, and then when the team came out, he was in street clothes. This is now five consecutive games without Tariq Castro-Fields. Again, warmed up, comes back out in street clothes. Uh, they were optimistic that Castro-Fields was going to go this past week, but he did not. Um, and again, Matt, this is something last week. I mean, every, every senior that spoke with the media, and there were quite a few of them, every single one of them was asked, you know, what are you going to do next year? Are you going to take this extra year of eligibility or not? And that's, again, another really important aspect uh, when you look at this offseason because of the unprecedented nature of it. But all these guys, uh, they won't say publicly what they're going to do, understandably, because they don't know. And you look at a Castro Fields. Uh, this was supposed to be a bounce back year for him. Everybody thought, you know, hey, another year as a starter, he can improve his draft stock, all these things. Then he's missed five games. So, you know, what does that mean? You look at a Jason Oway, the sack numbers aren't there, but he's still a physical freak, generates a ton of pressure. Um, and I asked, I reached out to our Dane Brugler Saturday after the game. And I said, Hey, I just want to pick your brain about, you know, some of these Penn state guys. And the three who I think Matt are most important for, for this team next year, the decisions to make it's Oway, it's Dotson and it's Jaquan Brisker. And, you know, Brugler still sees, um, still sees Oway as a, as a first round guy. So that's again, going to be an interesting decision. Uh, Dotson, we've already outlined, not sure what he's going to do. Uh, but Brisker to me is the one, and we saw this again Saturday, and I've made mention of this before, he's playing his best football right now. Uh, now he br- broke on that ball, I believe in the first quarter, had the interception, but then fumbled the return. Michigan State got it. Um, very, a play that I think was really symbolic of this season because you see something good, then it's taken away and you just don't know what to make of it. But this is a better secondary with Brisker in it, undoubtedly. Um, he's somebody who's starting to put it all together, but Dane views Brisker right now. And again, things can change, but he sees him as a potential day three selection. So that to me, uh, again, everybody has opinions on these guys. They all vary, but that could be an interesting choice too. Does Brisker maybe come back? Uh, we don't know, but to me, those are kind of the big three, two of them being, you know, guys that can impact this defense. And, but you take all of that out of the equation, Matt, and you're seeing these younger guys get a lot of work. I mean, these cornerbacks have been thrown on the field time and time again. We saw it last year, but now we're seeing Daquan Hardy again getting thrown in there. Um, he was beat on the one long touchdown pass uh, early. But again, all this experience, like this stuff matters when you're thinking long term. And they always say, you know, oh, there's no substitute for game reps. Well, a lot of guys are getting them right now. And well, yeah. Again, it was a mess of the second quarter, but kudos to the defense for settling in and kind of had a dominant third quarter. And, you know, Michigan State got a few yards late at the, when they tried to, to score a touch. They had a 10-play drive, like, late in the game. But overall, pretty dominant second half by the defense. So, you know, and, and that's with Brandon Smith was pretty quiet in this game mm-hmm. for especially in the second first half and, and the secondary made some mistakes and the pass rush was really inconsistent. But I don't know, it's it's – 
a lot of young guys getting experience that's going to pay off because you know I'm not I don't think Penn State's going to uh, go to the playoff next year. Early prediction, but I think they Hot will take. bounce. I, I think they will bounce back. There's enough talent and enough guys getting their feet wet and showing positive signs that you know this has been a messy, weird season. But I think there will be enough to feel relatively good about, even if there are still some going to be some major questions answered in terms of the passing game and all that. Yeah, I mean, I think too. You know, you can point to this offensive line taking a step in the right direction. For sure. Yes, you know, and they'll have a full year to 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 make the changes that they wanted to make under Phil Troutline. Yeah, and the thing there too that we're keeping an eye on C.J. Thorpe. Um, again, I scanned the sideline several times for him. Didn't see him. Uh, even there. So I don't know what maybe is going on or not going on there, but uh, that's something that certainly is going to have to be asked about this week. So, I mean, this is a guy who came into the year as your starter at right guard and doesn't make the Rutgers trip. We don't see him this week. So um, again, I mean, you're, you're looking, you know, Will Fry's, Michael Bennett guys that presumably again, who knows, but you'd think are, are probably going to move on. Uh, so you've got to continue to see more from, you know, the Juice Scruggses of the world. And Caden Wallace has done a really nice job this year uh, starting at right tackle. So to me, Matt, it's just you want to keep seeing these younger pieces. Um, defensively, I didn't I forgot to mention him earlier, but we did see Akeem Beeman back in this game. He was on the field after not playing against Rutgers. And Adisa Isaac is somebody who has had a quieter year than I thought he was going to. Um, but again, still a really young guy. They're still super, super high on him. So, I mean, I, I think Matt, right. Like this is what you keep an eye on in Illinois game because you're, you're three and five, uh, Illinois just parted ways with Lovey Smith. You're the game is in Beaver stadium. So after all of the senior day hoopla, and again, kudos to Penn state for finding a way to make something work for senior day, uh, really, really unfortunate the new state guidelines went into place. And so parents weren't allowed in the stadium for the game. So Penn state brought them in for warmups, had them lined up around the uh, corner of the field. So they were able to, to at least get some photos. The players were able to stand on the other side of the, the front row, the fence from their parents. So a very unusual senior day, but they made it happen. But now after all that emotion and, you know, the players are taking a lap around the field at the end, like a really heartfelt touching moment that we've seen these last few classes take that final lap. Um, now you got to come back out and you're playing in that stadium again. So a bonus game, which again, Matt, I don't know bowl wise who the heck knows. I mean, I know people keep asking, will we see Penn state in a bowl game? Um, I've had people during the game that thought last week, people on Twitter said, Oh, well, good. This is the last game of the season. Well, no, they can still finish 500. Yeah, I mean, you just you don't know really at any point when this season is going to end uh, because of the pandemic and everything that goes with it. And I will say, because I, so much of what we heard last week from James Franklin, from Brent, Brent Pride, um, Matt, I, I certainly would not fault anyone if Penn State would say no to a bowl game after everything that these players and coaches have sacrificed this season just to get on the field. We did see Pitt said they're not going to go to a bowl game. Uh, Boston College, same thing. Um, I don't know what they're going to do, but it was interesting talking with Jahan Dotson, talking with Will Levis after the game Saturday. Uh, they said, and again, it's just you know a handful, a couple guys, but they said if there's a bowl opportunity, they would want to play. Um, so I don't know how you make 
that decision? Is Does James Franklin make it? Does Sandy Barber make it? Is it the leadership council? Um, I have no idea what they're going to do if that opportunity is out there. Um, but yeah, you get that, that extra bonus home game, I suppose, in Beaver Stadium. And thank God, Matt, they're not playing on Friday night. Or right. Friday afternoon. Do you see Rutgers, Nebraska is at 4 p.m. Eastern? Uh, I mean, congratulations, Nebraska. Like everything just seems to be yeah, not I mean, coming up Nebraska. This you're year. telling teams Saturday at, or Sunday rather at like 2 p.m. <laughs> Eastern that, hey, you're playing Friday after. I mean, it, it's been a mess for the Big Ten. It's been a rough year all around. Um, so I guess, you know, you take that 530 slot for Penn State and you say, eh, OK, you know, at least you, you ended up with a, a favorable time and you're at home, which James Franklin would be very happy about, I'm sure. Illinois, of course, the last time they did play Illinois was a Friday night in Champaign in 2018. Penn State won that game 63 to 24. And uh, Illinois, yeah, I don't expect Penn State to score 63 points this time out. <laughs> no, but uh, Illinois is a kind of a mess right now. As you mentioned earlier, Levy Smith got fired. They lost 28 to 10 to Northwestern on Saturday. They went seven of 22 passing between Isaiah Williams and Brandon Peters. Uh, they gave up 411 rushing yards to Northwestern. It was Northwestern's first 400 yard rushing game since I believe like 2003 against Illinois. So uh, Northwestern, not exactly like a juggernaut on offense. So I don't know that Penn State is going to have to air it out and who knows what the weather will be like. It's supposed to be a snowy week in Pennsylvania. A little bit uh, of snow on the ground this morning, Matt, in State College. It's, there you go. Yeah, looks so like Penn Tuesday State might Wednesday, be able to, maybe a foot. We don't know if Devin Ford will be available, but Penn State should. I expect Will Levis to run 62 times, I think, on Saturday. <laughs> oh, God, help us. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, there's not a whole lot to say about Illinois. That They, they are two and five. <laughs> They did beat Nebraska. They did beat Rutgers. They've lost the last couple of weeks. They kind of blew an early good start against Iowa, lost by 14, and then a, a kind of a dreadful game against Northwestern. So, yeah, interim coach coming in, ninth game they weren't planning for yet because they didn't know who the opponent would be. You know, Penn State is not a great team, but I have to say that I do like Penn State's chances to win on, on Saturday and get to four and five, get within a game of 500. Yeah, um, I'm picking Penn State in this one, Matt, 31-17. It is, and here's the other part of this too. I mean, this week is a logistical nightmare for everyone um, because you got the early signing period starting on Wednesday. So, I mean, you talk about coaching staffs that have have to be so divided this week, just trying to get something ready for, for any kind of product that you can roll out on the field on Saturday. Uh, I mean, the thing for Penn State, they always practice Sunday, but Sunday's correction day. So they practice Sunday, not knowing, you know, who their opponent was going to be. They're off Monday. So you'll see Tuesday is really their first time um, being out there preparing for Illinois. But I don't think necessarily it'll it'll matter a ton. Now, if uh, if you were a team that had college football playoff aspirations still, and you've got to get ready for a Big Ten title game and, you know, ink your class on Wednesday, that's a mess. I mean, that we knew that this that's what this year was going to be because of everything just being so impacted by the pandemic. But I'm curious how Penn State logistically handles this week. Uh, James Franklin, I asked him about it last week. He said that, you know, it's probably going to be usually, you know, they have the big war room and university uh, figures are all in the war room. Well, you can't do any of that this year. Uh, so it's probably going to be him on Zoom with players and their families as they sign. Uh, and then he said, you know, they'll pull in the position coaches for certain guys. And 
let the coordinators just kind of cook and game plan because Wednesday is such a big game planning day for them. So yeah, Matt, uh, 31-17 Penn State for me, but I am just very curious how we all make it to Saturday with this being such a busy week. Yes, I, I will go Penn State 34, Illinois 17. Uh, Penn State has 19-5 and all-time against the Illini, and uh, Illinois has won in State College once. That was 2010, which I remember being, I think, a very, 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 very dreadful homecoming game for Penn State. I uh, would not expect this game to go that way. So – we both expect Penn State to win. I think most will expect that, which is you know weird to say in a year that started 0-5, but Penn State will, it, it, I think, cover the spread against Michigan State and will presumably be a, a pretty significant favorite. But yes, a, a very weird week in many respects, the playoff being decided, signing day, coach firings happening. It's like all of December got condensed into one week, basically. And I say, Matt, I'm going to put you on the spot too because then bowl selection stuff, what day, is that, what day does that happen? Because I... Sun- okay, I mean, so well, some of it's already happened because there's literally right, a bowl right. game on Saturday. The Frisco Bowl is on Saturday. Oh, so <laughs> so I keep getting emails. Regular season, it's bizarre. So yeah, I mean, BYU Penn State goes to the roof something bowl, and Penn yeah. State goes to the the guaranteed rate bowl in Arizona. That's the day after Christmas, like a week later. So mm-hmm. we'll, well see. And and that's my my question, Matt, to put you on the spot here. Um, if you're Penn State and you get the opportunity for a bowl game, would you take it? Just I think the Mayo Bowl would be a lot more preferable. <laughs> and I'm not <laughs> even joking because it's in Charlotte. It's not the day after Christmas. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, So it, it's hard to say. It's hard to put myself in the shoes of the team. Yeah, it's but tough. I don't know. Just based on all, all that they've sacrificed and all of that, it's a tough – like I understand these teams that don't play – I my barely educated guess is that they they would like to accept one. Like I, I feel like these players, you know, they've got some momentum going. Like beat Illinois again. There's a chance to you can avoid having a losing season if you win the bowl game. And which is pretty remarkable given mm-hmm. where the season started. So I don't know. I, I think there's certainly we this team obviously has not quit. You know, there's definitely some pride there. Yeah. And I I if they were to if you know, if they, if they were had two win, or if they had one win right now, I think it'd be a different conversation. But the fact that they've, they're stringing together some success, I, I think that makes a bowl a little bit more appetizing because it's like, hey, we can, they could start 0 and 5, finish 5 and 0. Uh, it, it's a possibility. I mean, we'll see what a bowl matchup would be. We don't know. But so I, I, I very yeah, well could I, see them playing, although I could see it going both ways for sure, based on, yeah, you know, based I, on the conversation you wrote about it last week, how, how, the coaches and players talking about how tough this season has been. And I think your point too, I mean, the, the Duke's Mayo bowl is a, is a more appealing um, opportunity because the guaranteed rate bowl, you'd have to fly all the way out to Arizona for a game in a pandemic. Um, and again, these bowl games, there's going to be nothing, nothing like the normal bowl experience about it. I mean, you're going to be treating this just like any other game. There's going to be no pageantry, no fanfare, no really cool bowl experiences, all that stuff. Um, so again, yeah, I, I'm very curious to see what this week is going to entail for Penn State between signing day, early signing day, um, and a game, maybe a bowl bid, who the heck knows. But yeah, I, Matt, it, I am very, very torn because if you're them, I do not know what you do with a bowl game. I mean, I feel like you have to understand that either way because it's they've yes, given up definitely. an insane amount to make it to this point. Uh, a chance at a, you know, 
not having a losing season certainly matters. But then the other side of that, Matt, do you want to risk losing that momentum of four and O potentially, and then you lose in a bowl game, um, depending on the matchup, maybe you get, you know, kind of run out of the gym too, who knows? Um, but yeah, kudos to Penn state for at least so far, eight games in eight weeks. Not many teams can, uh, can say that they've been able to do that. So, all right. Signing day quickly. Penn state is 20th now in the 24 seven sports composite. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got a commitment recently from, Wider, three-star wide receiver Harrison Wallace from Alabama. Not often you say that really about a Penn State commitment from Alabama. Uh, so sitting 20th nationally, fourth in the Big Ten, maybe a little, certainly a little bit better than it was. That Their rankings picked up a little bit. Lonnie White has moved up in the rankings to the top 200 in the 24-7 composite. So I don't want to say momentum, but it's not doesn't look as dire as maybe as it did. But also, I don't know how, how big, what are the expectations for, for, for Wednesday? What are you looking toward as Penn state tries to finish off what is kind of a middling class. That's kind of hopefully a bridge class to maybe better things in 2021. I'm curious if they add anyone to it. Um, Now the, the, to me, one of the most interesting parts of this past week was a former Lackawanna corner John Warren tweeting out some uh, edits of him in Penn state gear. Now he's Ah, recruiting. (laughs) Yes. He's currently committed to Georgia and it was so strange because when he verbally committed to Georgia this past summer, um, I had just written a story like the week prior about Lackawanna and Penn State and spent a lot of time talking with Mark Duda, the Lackawanna head coach, about Warren. And to me, um, it just made so much sense that this is a guy that would end up at Penn State potentially. And, you know, this is someone who could help the secondary And Penn State's had a lot of Lackawanna guys, you know, and they currently do on this roster just made a lot of sense. And then he committed to Georgia and it's like, Okay, I, I did not see that coming at all. So I do wonder um, if there's maybe some reconsidering going on there, or if he has other plans. Who the heck knows? But to me, that's the big one to keep an eye on uh, leading into Wednesday because if something changes there, Matt, um, you're looking at a corners. You know, I believe it. I'm not sure if he still currently is, but was the top JUCO prospect this cycle. Um, so then that's that's a big get. And, and, you know, I think the other good thing about this class is offensive lineman Landon Tangwall is going to early enroll. That's something that he'd been working on behind the scenes for a few months and, you know, was really pushing good counsel to allow that to happen. So that's going to be good. And you did mention Lonnie White Jr. Um, I had a chance to go to, to Malvern prep before Penn state season started, watch Lonnie practice you gotta love the athleticism, Matt. I mean, this guy can do it all. He's an X factor. Um, I, who the heck knows though, in terms of his baseball potential. I mean, that's the thing that you're going to have to kind of keep an eye on down the stretch because very, very good baseball player. The fact that Penn state is in the mix for someone who could be selected in the MLB draft. That's not something we talk about very often around here, uh, but definitely it's an unusual class. I don't know how Penn state is going to handle Wednesday in terms of, I would imagine we'd hear from James Franklin talking about the class. Like normally, um, hopefully we'd hear from the recruiting coordinators too, but it's been such a bizarre cycle. I mean, you're, you're talking about guys commitments from people who, you know, you're going to see it in 2022 as well. I mean, you've got kids who haven't seen the campus before you've got players that you're, you're trying to figure out at least 2021, you had some of that familiarity, Um, it's much stronger in terms of these guys had some normalcy leading up to it. Uh, But the other guy in there too, Liam Clifford, Sean Clifford's little brother is one that's going to be 
uh, interesting because you look at a, a potential wide receiver, really good athlete, somebody that's uh, risen in the rankings. And Christian Veyu, to me, Matt, is another one of the more interesting guys in this class. The Canadian prospect goes to the Bullis School in Maryland. Um, now, he's someone who has taken a bit of a hit in the rankings in the past few months. Uh, this was an Elite 11 guy, and then uh, he's kind of tumbled a little bit. So now he's nationally outside of the top 400. But we always talk about quarterbacks and, you know, what they mean in terms of... Hey, Penn State's had more success with three stars than five stars. Exactly. So I think, <laughs> you know, I, I think at this point you say, okay, you know what? You kind of roll the dice on this. Um, I did Sorry big... to our colleague Ari Wasserman, if, who, if he's listening, oh, just like yeah. looking through a window. <laughs> yeah, um, I will say though I will pump uh, Ari's story up this morning on The Athletic, a really interesting piece. He spoke with a bunch of different um, recruiting coordinators and got their ideas on recruitments and recruiting during a pandemic and who are some of the best re uh, recruiters out there as head coaches. Um, unsurprisingly, Matt, again, it's an anonymous survey, but someone did say James Franklin. So Definitely not Penn State's strongest class uh, when you look at it. But again, it's always, and I feel like this is such a college football thing, it's always about building toward the future. And we've seen it in years past, you know, when you're allowed in the war room, you've got coaches, you know, celebrating 2021, and then they're on the phone with guys for 2022, uh, making pitches, picking their brains, checking in. And 2022, Matt, that's a class that right now seven verbal commits you got to be getting pretty excited about that group. Um, so again, we'll see what Wednesday brings. If there are any late additions, who the heck knows? It seems like there's always something that goes kind of haywire um, on signing day, whether it's the early signing day or the typical signing day. So we'll be keeping an eye on it. But yes, part of an unusual class in an unusual year in an unusual week. So very 2020. That's correct. So we're going to have no shortage of things to talk about when we reconvene for dear old state next Monday. We'll have the Illinois game, which again, uh, just adding on to the weirdness of the season, we're on the third schedule of the year for Penn state football. And now a game that was decided six days in advance, we'll have signing day recap to talk about, and then we'll be talking about either the end of the season, maybe a bowl game. We don't know. It's all a mystery, but Penn state did manage to get in Penn State got in every regular season game as scheduled, which uh, once they got to that third schedule, which is pretty remarkable given all the cancellations. So uh, Penn State's certainly doing a good job with all the protocols and all of that. And uh, we have a ninth game to talk about next week. So everybody make sure to read Audrey's content on The Athletic this week. We will, of course, have coverage of signing day and coverage of the Illinois game and coverage of whatever the postseason does or does not entail. So check that out. And uh, please, as always, if you're enjoying the show, rate, review, subscribe to us. We really appreciate the listenership here on Dear Old State. Stay safe, everybody. We'll be back next Monday. <laughs>